Let's begin by asking, how are you responding to life at the moment? How are you responding to this pandemic? How are you and I responding to this virus? And so I was reading an article in the Sunday Times last week, and this journalist was sharing as he went to buy his groceries that the lady at the checkout counter was saying that she herself had to line up and go and buy Pampers, half-jokingly. And he asked why? Because uh, the, the customers have been endless and she has had no time to run to the loo. So maybe she needs to buy Pampers. That's how she res- she's responding. The endless shoppers at supermarkets. For him himself, the journalist, it because of the uh, shut-in situation. He spent his time rearranging his furniture. And so he rearranged his furniture, his chair on the balcony, and for the first time, he could tell that he heard a loud bark, but it was a small dog. He could hear his, his neighbours murmuring, and he could hear the birds debating. Birds debating, of course, it's, it's a, a fancy way of saying, for the first time, he noticed things he never noticed. And uh, birds debating maybe which worm to eat, where to find them. Did you read? Very sadly, here in Singapore, in the minority, the police recorded a dozen cases of abuse against the enforcement officers. And so I read to you, a 40-year-old man head-butted an officer when he approached him to stop playing basketball at an area that was already cordoned off. Head-butted an officer. A 72-year-old man slapped an officer who asked him for his particulars when he found him eating at a hawker centre, a food centre, which is now no longer allowed here in Singapore. A 35-year-old man, 33-year-old woman, hurled insults at three safe distancing officers, the vulgarities. Just last Sunday, I went to pick up my reusable mask at the community centre. And as I walked in, I heard loud, a loud voice, a loud voice, and this person was just shouting four-letter words, four-letter words at the volunteers who were there. Obviously, as he walked away, I looked at him because as I was entering, he was leaving, but he was still in that loud voice, obviously mentally challenged. But did you hear of Tom Moore in Britain, in the UK? Tom Moore in, the, in Britain, in the UK, he... In the light of all this, he set himself a goal. He wanted to raise funds to encourage, to encourage uh, the national health system, the doctors and nurses there, and he set himself a goal of raising a thousand pounds for them. How? By walking up and down his garden. And then word got out and slowly but surely people caught hold of this, caught on to this. And so he completed this. And guess what? He raised not $1,000, as I read yesterday. It was 17 or 18 million pounds, which is equivalent of about 30 million Sing dollars. And who is this man? Captain Tom Moore. He fought in World War II, a survivor of World War II, a hero of World War II. And... He's 99 years old, going to 100. And so, he's actually recovering from a hip replacement operation. And his daughter suggested to him, since there's nothing else we can do, why don't you go and exercise? And while you exercise, you can do good. And this is how it all started. And when you think of that and contrast Captain Tom Moore in Britain 
to some of the minority abuse cases that we hear, we have people with, who are young, younger than him, sound hearing but very unsound responses to a crisis. But here he is, a 99-year-old, 100-year-old man with failing hearing but very sound response to a crisis. Which leads us to the very heart of Jesus and the parables. Jesus and the parables is all about the right response. The right response to who he is, the right response to what God has sent him to do for us, for God's glory. And so allow me to take you to a verse to unpack firstly the purpose and the place of parables before we look at the parables in some detail. So in chapter 13 verse 10 it says, Then the disciples came and said to Jesus, Why do you speak to them? And them were the crowds. And so you find in this whole passage in chapter 13, this whole chapter, between the disciples and them, the crowds. And Jesus answered them, the disciples in this case, To you it has been given the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the crowds, it has not been given. And so the context and the situation is very, very important for us to understand. Because if you read this gospel, in the immediate preceding chapters, chapters 11 and 12, there was increasing opposition, increasing rejection of Jesus as he went around preaching, teaching, and then went around healing and exorcising demons as signposts that he was God's Messiah. From this point on, there will be increasing division about who he is and what he has come to do. And so from this point onwards, Jesus takes the opportunity to start teaching in parables to the crowds and then explaining the secrets of it to his disciples. Why? Because he knew that the crowds following of him was fickle, was temporary. He was now at the height of his popularity, but he used the parables to explain that one day very soon, he will no longer be popular. Indeed, they will vilify him and hate him. And so the disciples have to understand the change in the responses. So, to the disciples was given the secrets. They were given spiritual enlightenment of who Jesus was and his mission sent by God. To the crowd, they will be given no secrets. They will remain in spiritual dullness and darkness. Why? Because theirs was a self-interested following of Jesus up to this point. And so, as Jesus says this, it is not something new. It's something that has happened to every single prophet, a spokesperson sent by God to his people to speak God's word for them to confess and repent. And so the person who spoke this was the prophet Isaiah. So it's recorded, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. And then many parents sitting listening to this said, hey, that sounds like my children. That sounds like my teenager. But no, it's God sending his prophet to his people Israel through the prophet Isaiah. For this people's heart had grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, and their eyes have closed. 
lest they see, they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So, Jesus teaches this, and say there is a consistent pattern that God in his kindness, in his grace, in his generosity, sends his prophets to speak God's word, to warn them to come back to him, to not change idols. But there's a consistent response, mistaken response. So from Isaiah the prophet initially to Jesus the prophet finally, there's nothing wrong with the messenger. Nothing wrong with the message that has come from God through the messenger, both in the Old Testament and now finally in Jesus. But there was everything wrong with the listeners. So both Isaiah and Jesus were sent on what we call a sure fail mission. How many of you, right, when things get better, you graduate from poly, you graduate from ITE, you graduate from university, and you're looking for a job and you apply for a job and you join this company and the person interviewing you says, uh, we want you to join our company, but I have not so good news for you. Our company and its products and the services will be rejected. It's sure to fail. And actually, you, the contract is only for six months because you're in a sure fail business. It's totally illogical, right? But God sent firstly Isaiah and finally Jesus to on a saving mission, but it will be a sure fail mission because the listeners will be too proud to listen to God speak his word of rescue. So with that framework in mind, with that background in mind, we can plunge in to understand that here there are eight parables, beginning with the parable of the sower and the souls, the sower and the ground. And then Jesus will move on to the weeds and the wheat and then the mustard seed, and then the yeast. And all those, three has, all those three parables have to do with what we call the growth of the kingdom. And then Jesus will speak about treasures. Parable of the treasure, parable of the pearl, parable of the net, and finally the parable of the scribe, or what they call the householder. The common theme of all the different eight parables, of all the parables, is the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And so, what do we learn? Firstly, we need to understand what Jesus means by the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, when we study this gospel with some detail, indeed any gospel, is a shorthand way of saying, right, is the start of God's rightful rule of the universe, of the world, and of your life and my life. Why? Because we have ruled our own lives our own way. And we have been saying this, whatever you want to think, you think. Whatever you want to say, you say. And many of the things we think and say and do now acutely, while we are unable to move about, while we are experiencing cabin fever, we are finding that, hey, we are quite capable of quite nasty thoughts of quite nasty words and quite nasty behaviours towards each other. And that's not the way God designed us to be in the beginning. Because Satan got in and we have now been derailed and deformed in our minds, in our hearts and broken in our relationships. So the kingdom of heaven is the start of Jesus' rightful rule over us and the end of Satan's wrongful rule over us, seducing us to think, that we can live 
and run our own lives our own way. So, the parables, it was the right mode of teaching, the right delivery at the right time. It was preparing the disciples for what? Preparing the disciples for the kingdom responses. Then Jesus said, please don't be surprised that among God's nation, Israel, instead of saying, hey, God has finally sent his final prophet, his final king, his final priest, let's respond to him, all Israelites, there will be a whole range of responses beginning with initial joy to final rejection of him dying on the cross. And so it will be about kingdom growth. When Jesus comes to start this kingdom, how will it grow? What will happen? And then what must we do in response to what Jesus offers us in the good news of the gospel? And so we begin with the first, the parable of the sower. And the two passages read, I think, so beautifully by our sisters in Christ. Parable of the sower, you would know, Children would know, adults would know, anyone listening would know. Jesus speaks about four types of soul or ground. The hard soul, the hard ground, the rocky ground, and it's all about kingdom responses. And so the hard ground, please take note, the hard ground, Jesus identifies there is the evil one which tells you that in Jesus' preaching, teaching, in the mind of Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord, Satan is not an idea. He's not a theory. He's not a joke. He is enemy to God's people. He's enemy to God and he's an enemy to God's purposes. So the evil one comes and snatches away. Has anyone snatched things away from you? I had a relative was telling me in, in Malaysia, our neighboring country, he was walking along and he had his uh, computer bag slung across. And then two guys on a motorbike came and snatched them and he was pulled along, he was pulled along. And it's, it's shocking. It snatches something precious to you and threatens your life. And notice, it's about the hardness of heart. I guess the first group of people who were guilty of this were the religious teachers of Israel. Whether they were the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and finally the chief priests and the high priests, they were hardened ground. And so they were the proudest, they had the proudest heart, they had, let me get it right, the greatest knowledge of God's word, so they thought and presumed, but side by side with the greatest knowledge of God's word came the proudest heart and the hardest heart that would not accept God's final word and revelation in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The rabbi from a small town, rabbi who had to be listened to, and so I want to ask of us, who could be most vulnerable to this? It could be any and all of us in ministry, especially in leadership in ministry. It could be a missionary out there. It could be a pastor. It could be elders. It could be deacons. It could be our discipleship group leaders. Great knowledge, greatest knowledge, but proudest heart, proudest spirit, and hardest heart. Is that you? Is that me? Is that what God is confronting to you as you listen to this? That you could be a leader by name, by title, an elder, a deacon, and, uh, but furthest away from God, greatest knowledge, but proudest spirit, hardest heart. 
And then he moves on. He moves on to what we call the rocky ground. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures it for a while. But when tribulation and persecution arises, because of what? On account of this word that Jesus has come to sow, this gospel word, this end time word, this end time revelation, when tribulation and persecution arises, the person falls away. And so, in where Israel was, we call that Palestine region. Hardened ground are the paths in which people walk. No, no roads, no tarred roads. It was just ground pounded on, pounded on, became hard. And then rocky ground, the soil is very thin. Thin layer of soil. And so plants do grow, but will wither very quickly under the sun. And so the lesson here is perhaps of initial joy, but because of the shallowness of faith, Maybe it was all self-interested, not following Jesus, not listening to Jesus to who he really is and following him for who he really is sent by God, but for what he can do to them. Could this be a reference to the crowds? Then when they see Jesus headed towards the cross, more and more rejected and he doesn't meet their needs for a powerful leader, a powerful deliverer from Roman rule, they will fall away from him? Could be. And could this still be at work for us today? I would think so, that even for us, we have found this phenomenon, that some people sometimes turn up in our, in our churches, in our ministries, and boy, we all speak about that person. I remember years and years ago, this person came, and he was really on fire as he read the Bible, his eyes was open, and he couldn't, there was, we couldn't feed him fast enough. He joined everything we put out there, discovering Christianity just for newcomers, discipleship groups, and then a crisis happened in his life, a relationship didn't go as well as he expected, and things didn't turn out well in his family, and he fell away as, as fast, as, as quickly as he showed initial joy. And that's a very important one, that we don't crumble under the pressure. And so for some of us, the warning may be, it's not what, oh, I was on fire for Lord when I joined the boys' brigade. I was on fire for God when I joined the, the girls' brigade. I was on fire for God when I was in the youth ministry. I was really passionate about sharing Jesus when I joined the Christian fellowship. It's not how you were in the past. It's how you are now continuing with Jesus. And then the third soul, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And so we call this the thorny ground. And what are the characteristics of the thorny ground? It moves not so much, not only from the hardness of heart in the first one, the shallowness of faith in the second one. But now with Tony Ground, there are two things. There's distracting worry, the cares of this world. And Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount of what you eat and drink and wear. We're all concerned about that. And haven't we shown this with the panic buying all around the world when the pandemic reached our shores? We are all concerned about what we eat and drink and wear. And so we... I call this now the nowness of life or the heaviness of life. 
that you and me are going from one worry to another worry. We find this common phenomenon, at least I find it as a pastor, right? that when especially our, our children here are going through exams, they pray for my children's exams as they face the PSLE, or they face the O-levels, or they face the A-levels, and we do. We pray about everything, exams included. And then the results come out, and the sterling results. And then comes the next thing. Now which school to choose? And then which faculty to join? Which thing? So we have just finished one worry and God has just cured that worry by answered prayer out of his grace and his mercy and his provision. And then we are, you know, you and me, we are on to the next worry. On to the next worry. In that sense, we are addicted worriers. We are serial worriers. We are hardened worriers. And is that you? The heaviness of life from the nowness of life. This thing I'm facing, it's really so heavy. And then Jesus speaks about the deceitfulness of wealth. There's a seductiveness of wealth. And why deceitfulness and seductiveness? Because you and me thought that this is what is really gives us our confidence. The more we have, the more money we have, the more material things, the more financial resources, the more secure. But friends, through this COVID-19, I hope we realize that wealth and materialism is no basis for security. Is no basis for security now or in any season of life. But the word I wanted to highlight in this, the thorny ground, was the word choke. And whenever I preach it, I want you to do me a favor wherever you are. Can you just put your, your, your hands around your neck and just increasingly slowly choke yourself? Can you see me doing it? Can you see my face turning slightly red, my voice going? The thorny ground, the things that come to choke us, the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, doesn't come overnight. But slowly but surely, they choke our faith in God and choke true life with a capital L out of us. Again, I ask, is that you? Is that me? Was that possibly Judas? Was that possibly him? Was he Saul number two or Saul number three? That the shallowness of his faith and as he looked at it, he sold out his Lord. He sold out Jesus for a bunch of coins. So please do not make this mistake. And then Jesus moves on to the good ground or the good soul. The good ground. As for what was sown on good soul, that is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, another sixty, another thirty. And so not many of us know how to plant things. Hopefully during this season is a good time to enter into creation care, learn to plant your own food, show your children how it grows, you yourself and myself learn things. And so good soul from seed to abundance. Finally, the seed meets understanding. Finally, finally, the seed meets understanding. And this is not just intellectual agreement, not just mental agreement. Yeah, I think what Jesus said is true. I think uh, he's a good man. I think he's a prophet. It's not what we think. God doesn't want our opinions. He wants our obedience to Jesus. And Jesus spoke about this 
in the Sermon on the Mount recorded for us in Matthew chapter 7, where he gave the contrast of two men. One built his house on the sand and got blown away in the storm. And one built his house on the rock, the wise man. And basically the message is, true hearing is you go out and you stick your life on this. And this is an abnormal harvest. So I don't know when I shared with you this story. I arrived to preach in the Philippines one time and this person picked me up at the airport and then we got to a lunch place and finally we got to some deep talking beyond the casual talking. He says, do you remember me? I said, please remind me. You came a few years ago and as you spoke at the conference, a youth conference, you challenged us from God's word and you said to stake our life. I, I, I took that to heart. I finished my university, I finished my college, then I went to Bible college and now I'm a youth pastor. This is a man where the seed meets with understanding. It's not mental ascent, he staked everything. His whole future is now geared towards this. And I say this not meaning that all of us, the truest expression for us is to enter into full-time Christian work, but for us to be full-time believers and followers. Which leads me to ask, are you a part-time believer? Were you a part-time believer and follower? Maybe until now, because you listened and you gave mental assent. And whenever you gathered for Bible study, you were just giving opinions about the Bible passage. But there was no need for costly obedience in your life. When God says, give up this and take on this. When God says, die to self here, take up this and live for me. That has to stop. And now it's a pretty good time to stop. And so warnings, very important. From Isaiah to Jesus, to the audience listening, please don't lightly reject. What saves you is the revelation of God. Please don't reject this lightly, the word of God, revealing the person of God. And now don't reject not just what saves you, it's who saves you. Because rejection of Jesus will have repercussions both in this life and for all eternity. As each of us now stare down our fragility and our mortality with this pandemic all around the world. The rejection of Jesus has massive repercussions. And so, before we move on to the rest, good to ask which soul are you and I? Which season of life? Some scholars think that you and me are a fixed soul. That if you're a hardened soul, you're a hardened soul. If you're a shallow faith, you're a shallow faith. If you're the thorny soul, you're thorny soul. Or something that at different seasons of life, you could be one moving to the other. But the most important is for us to continue to pray and humbly ask of God to be the fruitful soul that hears this word, gives our obedience, stick our life, that who Jesus is and what he says to us is the best thing, the revelation of God for saving us, rescuing us. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field, he answered. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. 
The field is the world, and the good seed, the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the son of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire. So it will be at the end of the age. And so we can only but summarize here. Important. Can you tell the difference between seeds? Very few of us can as urban cosmopolitan people. You look at this seed, you look at that seed, can't tell which plant comes from it. Can you tell the difference between plants, between wheat and weeds? So in the world that Jesus um, was, grew up in and preached, this was a very important thing. So can you tell the wheat from the Darnell wheat? In all likelihood, there was the species of wheat that was there. You can't tell? Shame on you. Neither can I. Because they look the same. What's the difference? Because a close-up view will show you this. Can you tell which is which? Which is the wheat and which are the weeds? They are very similar externally. And then if they grow side by side, their roots get intertwined. So if you try to literally weed out the weed, you have to be quite an expert, somebody who, with farming skills, you know something about plants to be able, in the initial stages, you can probably pull apart the, the, the roots. But when they grow more in the later stages, it's almost impossible to pull away the weed, the roots from the wheat without destroying the wheat. And so what is Jesus' lesson for us here? Important ones. We summarize. On the left-hand side, the sower is Jesus, the son of men, and the wheat, the wheat, the sons of the kingdom. The enemy is the devil, and the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And then Jesus wants us, as part of his announcing of the kingdom of heaven, there will come the end of the age, the end of the age where there will be a final judgment and then final salvation for those who believe, final judgment and punishment for those who don't. And the reapers are the angels. And the righteous who belong, who believe in the sun and his word, bringing the revelation of God, they will shine in the end like the sun. Where? This is the who. Shining where? In the kingdom of the Father. Where else? On the right hand side, at the end of the age, gathered up, burned, and who are they? They are the people who are literally, the language is the stumblers, people who cause other people to stumble into sin. The stumblers and the sinners, where their destiny will be the fiery furnace and what will be they, they be doing for the rest of their lives? They don't die eternally. It is weeping and gnashing forever, eternal suffering away from the presence and the person of God which tells us how we listen, our response of listening determines not simply our identity, but our identity and eternal destiny. And this is according to Jesus. And so it tells us that God's people, later called the church, God's people, in Jesus' teaching, have to understand that he, God leaves us here, Jesus leaves us here, not to abandon us, but to send us out as his missionaries to the world. But we will coexist with a fallen world. And so the coexistence, coexistence of the good and
and the evil. And as we do so, maybe in a time like this, we may ask, why doesn't God stop evil generally across the board as part of his common grace and common good? What about us, the church? Aren't we immune? And some churches are wrongly pleading. Psalm 91, like a, like a panacea, like a spiritual talisman and protection that you recite Psalm 91, you will not get infected with COVID. It's a mistaken promise. It doesn't come from God's word. Why doesn't God rescue us, particularly his church, from evil? And the lesson is, like master, like servant, Jesus will be betrayed. He will be arrested. God doesn't rescue him from evil men and evil deeds. He will be crucified on the cross. But side by side with the growth of evil against Jesus will be the growth of his kingdom as he dies and as he rises. And so we must learn to discern who belongs. Can you tell as you get on a bus, as you get on MRT? Can you tell in the workplaces before all this shutdown around the world and our circuit breakers here in Singapore? Can you tell who is the Christian and who is not? You can't tell. It takes great discernment. And we must endure. We must persevere. So let me ask you, as we now go through the circuit breakers, how is your how your patience towards each other, even as families. And I know for some, it's really tough because a family of four people, six people in, in a small flat or dwelling a thousand square feet or thereabouts, and then the children are home-based learning, the parents are work from home, and then you've got grandparents, you've got a helper there. It's not easy. And I think somebody wrote, we actually know nothing about patience until now. So let me ask you, how patient are you? And I think our honest to goodness answer listening to this, can we all confess we knew little or nothing about long, long suffering and endurance and perseverance until now, where we have to live in close quarters. But that is what Jesus is teaching about gospel growth. It will grow but you have to be able to discern the simultaneous growth of good and evil and learn to be, pray to be patient and pray to be enduring and persevering. And then the two other parables, mustard seed. Mustard seed is so small, almost invisible to the eye, the size of a you know, pepper when you pour it out, and that small black pepper dot. From that will come a three-meter tree, right? And that's a huge tree in the dry, uh, dry countryside of, of Israel. And the lesson is very small beginnings, but great endings. What Jesus brings is small beginnings, but great endings, the kingdom of heaven. And it will have unnoticed growth. Almost the big word is imperceptible. You cannot see the connection and you cannot see the connection, firstly, with the master. What on earth does a man dying on the cross have to do with God saving the world? Saving the world from sickness, saving the world from decay and disease and death. What does that have to do as our, God's final revelation and God's final solution? It has everything to do. What does this, a tiny puny crow cross, a deluded man dying on the cross have to do with you and me 2,000 years later. He has everything to do. Small beginnings, great endings. The yeast, disproportionate, same kind of lesson, very small, 
but in the illustration that Jesus gives there, in the parable that Jesus gives there, but this small amount of yeast can feed a hundred people. I do not know was the greatest, the biggest meal you ever cooked, the greatest number of people you ever threw a party for, Chinese New Year, Christmas, Easter, a hundred people is a lot. And this leaven, this yeast, is enough to make bread for a hundred people. So please take note that kingdom work is like that. Small beginnings, unperceived. One of our days off uh, before the circuit breaker, Moneana went walking, and then uh, I think we got a message about a counselling case that we Mona, spent a lot of time, but doesn't seem any improvement in the person that she was ministering to. And as we were just praying on the way back, as we often pray, right, spending our time walking, praying, um, she just broke down and cried. And she said, I think all these years, I've, I've really accomplished nothing, you know. And what do you think I said? But that's the very nature of kingdom work. We can't see how it's growing people's hearts. We can't see how it's growing people's homes. But we want to take Jesus at his word. It is growing. And it has grown from, from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that me here, a Chinese person speaking to you about the Jewish Lord of the universe is living proof that billions of people believe, hear the gospel and believe and the good news of Jesus Christ is carrying on. And then we come to the last few, the parables of value. The parables of value, the first one of finding a hidden treasure. Now, today, if you've got money, you've got precious things, monetary things, you put it in a bank, you put it in a safe deposit box or you buy a security box for your own home. In the ancient world, Right? If you've got something precious of financial value, monetary value, you, in your grounds, your field, you go and bury it in the ground. And so the parable is told of this person who, who found this treasure and then sold everything to buy that ground because he found the best thing. And then about the person going out, the merchant going out to buy pearls and he found this one pearl that surpassed all his other pearls. And finally, the net, which is so similar to the wheat and the weeds that it all looks so similar, but it is the one who changes their value system in listening to God's final word in Jesus that will be drawn in as the good fish instead of the bad fish who pretend to listen, seems like listening, but is not listening. Which tells you that you could be a churchgoer for years and years but not be a Christ follower. So how has your value system changed? Have you ever worked out your value system? What's, what you really treasure? What is really precious to you? So we went for our first sabbatical and went to Boston. We arrived there and the first night it snowed and snowed and it was beautiful snow. And also on that very first night, right, we were staying in the university housing there. And um, the very first night that we were there, after we went to sleep watching the beautiful snowfall, the fire alarm went. Fire alarm goes in a foreign country, your first night there. 
What should I, what should I rescue? I thought to myself, I should rescue my passports. I should rescue my documents. I should rescue my, the letters they sent to me proving that I was a student because the next day I was going to go to the university and said I had arrived as a, as a research student. As the fire alarm kept going, I thought to myself, forget all those things. The most precious thing to me is my wife and my children who at the time were very young, five years old, eight years old. So I just grabbed my wife, grabbed my children, put some warm clothing and we ran out there to wait for the fire engines to come. Then I realized that Boston has very efficient fire services. You, the fire alarm goes off and within three to five minutes, they all arrive. Have you ever worked out your values? Sometimes it takes a crisis. A crisis like what we are facing now to realize who or what is really important to you. And I hope God is impressing upon your heart, burdening your heart so much that the most important person to you and me must be God himself. And the only way you and me can get right with God is by hearing the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in ending and summarizing, Parable of the souls, we need persistent listening. There'll be many different responses and please do not conclude because everybody can have their own views of the word of God and the son of God. I can also have my own subjective view. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is they were all mistaken views. They were all bad listening and bad responses like the ones here that I started with. Sound years but bad responses. And so we need to listen and we stake our life on Jesus. Parable of the wheat and the weeds. We need perseverance because God in his sovereignty will allow the good and evil to exist at the same time. The church existing in the world or even nominal, nominal Christians existing with true bona fide Christians. That could be a further secondary application. We need to learn from the parables of growth, the perception of growth, and not, not tire, not be fatigued, that you and me could be teaching God's word, praying for people, ministering to them, but you see so little growth, see so little growth, but you have to just be contented with the sowing and allow God to do the reaping at his time, the maturing at his time, and trust that he's doing this work. Small beginnings, but great endings. The message of Jesus and the cross and the kingdom. The parables of the treasure. The need for us to prioritize our values. And so very simply, not simply to listen to the message of the kingdom of heaven, but to listen to King Jesus in all seasons of our life. All seasons of our life. This couldn't be a better season. I do pray and hope that the word of God, the sermon, the message would encourage you. Let's turn to God in closing prayer. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you by glorifying your son that he is indeed sent by you as your final revelation. And we pray that by your grace and by your spirit, we will give you the right and due response of faith and obedience. And in doing so, May our lives be so transformed and may we go forth to the world holding the keys to eternal life by preaching the gospel that points people to Jesus, unafraid 
of anything that might happen to us. Because Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Thank you all for joining us. We hope to see you again next week. Keep in touch with us because throughout the week, the different ministries will have different ways of keeping in touch and we pray for each and all of us to be right with God through Christ. Amen.